Welcome to episode three of the Beautiful Truth podcast. Um, I am here at the beautiful home of Sonia Hale, the playwright. We are in Brixton, South London. And this week we are going to start with Sonia sharing a poem. Goodbye, my sweet heroine. Goodbye, my sweet heroine. Goodbye, more, more, more. Please understand how I'm wrecked on the floor. Car, the good times we had, eh? When I was all alone, how you comforted me, all warm, all at home. We turned rain clouds to sunsets. With you, I felt safe. Your hugs and your snuggles, I'll never forget. I loved running around with all your good friends. Alcohol K, the list never ends. How I fought for you daily to keep you by my side, rapidly letting my meanness subside. How you ripped out my heart and ransacked my head. The places you took me, how I wished to be dead. Still I adored you, gave you all that I had my loved ones, my child, and for that you were glad. I'm hating you now for the wreckage you've wreaked, leaving me out in the cold, alone on the street. My dignity's gone, my soul is destroyed. I'm raped and I'm ragged inside just a void. So goodbye, my sweet love. Cause I'm leaving you now, I'm in a safe place and see a glimmer of how, how I'm not coming back, I've had fucking enough, it's okay to be me, despite feeling a bit rough, I'm not coming back, I've seen a way through, it hurts to stay this, but it's goodbye to you. So goodbye, my sweet heroine. Guess this is farewell. When you come knocking, we won't meet in hell. Wow. That's a very, very powerful poem, Sonia. Thank when you. did you write it? I wrote it um, when I was in um, a drug and alcohol treatment centre. I was just two weeks into recovery. Um, in a treatment centre over in Western Supermare. Okay. And, um, yes. I mean, it speaks for itself in terms of anyone who's ever had any experience of addiction. Sort of the way you express it in, in poetry is is just very powerful because it, it paints a picture of where your mind was at and your emotions and, and everything. But how long ago was that? Um, nine and a half years ago now. Um yeah, so I had nine and a half years of kind of living like a civilian, <laughs> living like a norm. So you're, so yeah. you're nine and a half years in your recovery? Or in just, recovery, yeah. yeah. That's yeah, amazing. Yeah. yeah. That is an amazing achievement. How do you, I mean, knowing what you know now and having been through what you've been through, you know, night fast forwarding from when you wrote that piece uh, two weeks into recovery knowing what you know now and everything that you've achieved and obviously we're going to talk about the amazing work body of work that you've done and everything that you've achieved but what would you say to yourself what would you say to yourself back then 
knowing what you know now? Oh my god, what would I say to myself, Meg? I would say, um, I would say, um, you're fucking lovely. Yeah. I'd say just go for it. I would say, um, like it's okay to be frightened. It's okay to feel um, sad. It's okay to it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to mess up. It's okay to be a bit of a dickhead sometimes. Um, you know, and actually, like being a bit of a dickhead and making mistakes and and keeping going is kind of really what it's all about. Yeah. You know, with with bloody life and with writing, very much so. Yeah, being human, being yeah. truthful, and, and and owning that, and 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 I guess there's a certain degree of uh, acceptance and and forgiving oneself um, is part of a part if of that process. If you're not making mistakes, you're not living life. Yeah, you're not flirting with life. You know, you're not stepping out of your comfort zone and and trying something new i love that yeah yeah you have you gotta you gotta to be alive to really feel things yeah 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 that was something that was so prominent so strong in me when i came into recovery because it was like being in my addiction i spent i spent years in public toilets like unconscious or down back alleys um like you know throwing up or up to mischief or yeah just just basically hiding from life hiding behind some rock you know living some kind of gray semi-existence um it's you know hiding from myself and feelings but from just from all of it and when i came into recovery I just got a hold of this thing. It was like those two little... It was a bit like David and Goliath thing going on. Mm. And I was like, no, absolutely. Like, we have got to... We've got to become the bloody dragon. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we've, and we've just got to get a hold of life and, and go for it. So would you, and, um, say, would you say, for example, the analogy of... You know, some people call their addiction their demons. Yeah. Um, would you say that it's like... Um, from your point of view from someone who has has overcome their addiction and when I say overcome I'm, I'm very well aware that with addiction it's an everyday thing it's so much is it's so not it's is. not something you've done and tick you know it's not like a qualification where you passed it in this year and that's it it's it's a thing that you a choice that you make every day yeah but would you say that if you looked at your addiction as, as a demon would you say that it's about becoming friends with the demon and accepting the demon or overcoming that demon from your point of view? Um, I do think that, that the thing of personifying it is can be really useful. I think that that definitely. And do, do I make friends with it or overcome it? I get to know it. I get to know it and live with it. And... Um, like my addiction now appears in many other ways it, work is a massive thing mm. um like i do i do love to work and i can obsess about working and you know work myself until i get poorly really yeah um and um but also certain foods um i even like this is ridiculous. I can't. I can't have one chewing gum anymore. I gave up smoking because obviously that was an addiction. Yeah. 
And then I started chewing, chewing gum in place of the smoking. And I, I had to stop chewing gum altogether because it was the thing of, you know, I had to be completely abstinent. It was the thing of one is too many thousands. I had, you know, yeah. so it's getting to know it and to getting to, it's just getting to know yourself, yourself a bit. Yourself, yeah. But, um, because it's but, like, but yeah, making friends with it, I think. Yeah, Not I think frightened of it. I'm I think what you said, I think what you said is perfect, really, in terms of getting to know it. Yeah, you know whether you overcome it or you or you make peace with it, it's getting to know it, right? Because um, it's knowing yourself. So, like you said, you know that with with something, you've got you've got that tendency. Um, I mean, we all have addictive personalities to a certain degree, but it's knowing yourself that for me, some things are all or nothing. Yeah, and for me to have that knowledge of or that self control or that discipline to say, oh, I can see that that is something that I can't just have in moderation or I can't have it, so I'm not going to do it yeah. at all. Um, and that's a hard and thing to do. remember, you've got choice then. Yeah. Kind of going, okay, I've got this tendency, but also I've got choice because sometimes I forget I've got a choice yeah. and I'm so in on something. Yeah. But it's like, no, it's kind of almost like raising your head above the water. Yeah. And kind of looking down on it and going, right, I could. Yeah. Yeah, or I can choose not to. So it's like the thing of saying to yourself, mind over matter, I do have the strength to make the choice. Yeah. Yeah, and then then implementing that choice on a daily basis. I think for me that choice a lot lot comes through um, talking to other people and kind of blowing myself up. But also meditation. Meditation is is a is a big thing. Yeah. I think. Give yourself that little pause. Yeah. Just kind of go. Oof. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Center yourself and and um, process things because there's we live in a world where so much is going on, um, and it's not just internal noise. It's all the external noise, but it's both of them together mm. and balancing all that. Bloody but, right. But um, so I mean, it's clear that you're very well versed in what we would call the subject of women addiction and recovery because they say that work is often inspired by your own experiences and I would Mm -hmm. say for you as a playwright and having read uh, your work your play um, Glory Whispers there's there's a lot of that strong lived experience that comes through the voice of your characters and and your stories and so does a lot and even in reading your bio you say that you know a lot of your work is inspired by what you've been through and that's what makes it authentic and truthful I would say but how did you get into you know from from being in your addiction and then going into recovery how did you then now if you fast forward you know nine years later who now you're a published playwright and you've had your plays performed at South Bank Latitude Festival in prisons in treatment centres at the Arcola Theatre you work with various theatre companies you run writers workshops um, how, how did how did that transition happen like what was the journey like how did you start how did you get into it what inspired um, you so I um, when I was in a treatment center i um received a flyer for um the outside edge theater company who who i now work with and they work with addicts and um 
brilliant, brilliant. They do amazing stuff. And um, I got a little fly and they were doing forum theatre at the time. And there was the opportunity there for me to get up on stage and do a little thing. And I'd never really done, uh, I mean, I'd certainly never been on stage before. And, um, you know, the, the world of theatre was just another world that didn't, you know, didn't belong to me at all. I didn't belong to it. And um, so I got up on stage when I and I just caught this bug and I just I just loved it. I so I was so aching to do something creative. It was like I had this boiling pot of things that I needed to express. I so I'd not expressed myself for so long. And I think um, I think a lot of the things that happened to me, particularly actually during my using and a lot of the things I did during my using and the shame I had for that I really started to shut down and I really started to not there was certainly like not people didn't know anything about me like my son's dad I was with him six seven years and he still to this day when I tell him things about my my childhood he doesn't he didn't know anything about me like I I I and I think, I know, women in particular, you know, like a lot happens to women when they're out there doing what they have to do to get drugs. Mm. And um, and you have to shut down on some level. Yeah. And um, and I think it's, I think it's incredibly important, but incredibly difficult for women to make that step into recovery. Um yeah, absolutely. Because it's such a terrifying thing. Because you've lived shut down for so long. To then, I've gone off on a tangent. Sorry. No, no, it's absolutely fine. I mean, but I just, I think it's such a thing. Yeah, it's but it's, this is absolutely your journey and and your truth. And so you know, um, whatever you're choosing to share is 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 a, is a natural organic thing. And I think that you know you make some really important points because a lot of people may have may have experience of addiction but maybe not in the way that where they've suffered with it themselves maybe they've seen family members go through it mm-hmm. or friends but for some people it's a very far removed thing that has never touched their life it's something that they see in films or they read in books or they they you know they see on tv and they think i don't think they'd possibly have any insight or understanding into why someone can get lost in an addiction mm-hmm. why someone finds it so hard to um overcome it you know because you know i i have known family members that have have not been able to come out of their mm. addiction and it's and it's taken their life you know um it's a very painful thing so to to speak to someone who's who's been able to overcome it who's come through it not only that, who has achieved so much and and found this spiritual home through through writing, um, you know, and and through creativity and telling these stories and creating these characters. What an amazing thing! Because I'm sure there's a lot of addicts out there on every level. There's different levels of addiction and and different kinds of addiction. But I'm sure if if someone was listening to them, they may feel like what is my what what will be my catalyst for making that change what will be my saving grace like i can't write 
or you know, I'm not into poetry, or I could never write a play, or ha- what is going to be my thing that that saves me from it? You know, but it's 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 different things for different people, um, and I th- I just think it's amazing how you've turned turned things around because hope is hope is something that can can change lives, you know, yeah. and 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 I think there's hope in in your stories, there's truth in your stories, in your plays that you choose to write, but what um, would you say is when you go to to construct a play and you tell your stories um and and you you build these characters where do you get your inspiration from i'm sure a lot of it may come from a lot of them come from yeah a lot of them come from my life um my life out on the street but also also now my life here in brixton um I'm writing some something at the moment that is um, it's an um, a, a, an amalgamation of sort of weaving together of lots of different scenes and monologues from a gazillion different people I know and because I I just sort of get involved in the community quite a lot and sort of know me my neighbours and, and all the rest of it and they they all have ended up um, to some degree or another in this in this play and. Um, so very much, you know, getting ideas and inspiration from the world around me. Yeah. And um and I also think I think I think if someone is inspiring enough for you to want to put in a play, I think it's a re- it's a real kind of thing of love actually. Mm. I I there was one where um my my son inspired it. And it was he would not, you know, he would not in a million years have inspired it if I hadn't have loved him so much and found him actually and his, you know, I found him such a, an interesting character. Yeah. And um, so actually, it's a real, it really is a kind of thing of love, kind of bringing bringing them all in and and um, but yeah, so very much and and. Especially the the kind of stuff that I was wrote early on in my recovery, they were totally out of my using. Yes. Um, so is it people that you came across, situations you found yourself in? Obviously, then there's yeah. Um, I suppose I mean I'm not a playwright, so I don't know how the the structuring and things work. So. I'm assuming that there'd be a little bit of creative embellishment. A lot of, a lot of, yeah, yeah. a lot of kind of mixing things up as well. Yeah. A lot of kind of making men, women and women, men, and they're, and they're giving them this and that and that, yeah. taking them out of that situation and putting them there. So, yeah, they all end up, um, yeah, somewhere totally different. Yeah. None of them, uh, yeah. But and there's so, little, little flecks of inspiration there from, from real you know lived experience and like you say like your son inspiring you and and neighbors and friends that you know and it's i i think it's beautiful when when um playwrights and creatives and artists can um celebrate everyday people yeah you know yeah there's there's everyday heroes in our lives there's everyday inspiration there's people what you'd say for um you know for want of a better term, ordinary people doing yeah. extraordinary things. Yeah. You know, yeah. and and life itself is extraordinary and the stories that come from it yeah. is exploring those intricacies. So you don't need to have this fictional made up world and fictional characters. Um 
it's about actually exploring the lives of people around you and 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 those emotions and the and the power of those emotions in in being able to tell their story i think that's what i loved about your play glory whispers when when i wrote it i could imagine um i could just picture that scenario and i felt like in that story i was in that room with them i was in the <laughs> yeah. room with the characters and yeah. i could feel the pain and i could feel the tension and i could feel the the love yeah. you know there were so many different things in there between the characters and then obviously you know i would like everyone to read your work i would like everyone to if they haven't already read glory whispers or bullet tongue that's got five star reviews i would love everyone to go and read your work but um like Glory Whispers was very much um, so. So the guy in it was my ex-boyfriend. Right. The um, the the woman in it was a woman that I knew over in Sydney. Yeah. The uh, the young girl in it, I think, was a bit of me and a bit of a few others, and um, and the the heart of it was very much. I felt like that play. I needed to write because it was that play really really was it the pain of having because my son was taken off me and went to live with his dad in my using and that was the most extraordinarily painful thing mm. I think I could ever just imagine or put into words and it was almost like write, writing that play that was the kind of the gulp of it that was the, the kind of the heart that but the actual scenario of it it was it was something that I know someone that it yeah happened to but yeah. but so it's all just the kind of mixture with a load of bloody fiction thrown in of course of course and, but then there's there's beautiful details in there where you know um the, the, the character one of the characters um, has it has a beautiful Royal Dalton tea set and she's got it there in front of her and it's it's perfectly laid out um, and it's it's almost like a, a um, something that she's very very proud of it's precious and it's there but then you know the kettle in that play goes on quite a lot you know the, and and things like that there's detail in there which is such grounded in reality that it's just beautiful to read because when she's making a cup of tea for herself she doesn't use the beautiful tea set yeah. she uses an you know any old mug that's from the kitchen then when the play comes full circle right at the end she something that is almost symbolic this is what i got from it of saving it for a special occasion or protecting it you know the fragility of it or the or the, or the, the specialness of it the beauty of it she, she allows herself to say do you know what I'm going to make tea in this teapot and I'm going to pour it in one of the cups and I'm going to drink it and then she looks she opens the curtains and she looks out and for me that was such a powerful ending because something as you know something as simple as it were as, as, as tea and, and, and the receptacle from which you drink it mm. is symbolises what you allow yourself in your own life it's like that dress you never wear because you're yeah. you're saving yeah. it for a special occasion. Yeah. But you're you're special and every day is special. So why wouldn't yes. you wear that tomorrow? It's yeah. beautiful. It's it's detail like that that I don't think you can. You know there there are writers out there who have got skills who can make up a scenario and create characters. Um, but there's 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 little things in there. You know um, that 
character traits, how someone talks, how someone injects humour into something because they want to break the tension. All of those things is is beautifully written and um, it's lovely that someone can translate the pain that they've lived through, the adversity, the difficult things and translate that into something beautiful to share with others. That, Mm. for me, is is a very special thing and I don't think everyone has that so I, you know I found reading your work really really powerful and it really touched me because I can't imagine I don't have kids myself um but I can't imagine the pain of a mother not being able to be with their child it's you know I can't I can't imagine that pain it was in, yeah. but for you to find a way and a story of you know of, of a character who is going through that and just just some of some of the emotions that you feel from the point of view of the mother is not even spelt out for you it's unsaid and that's that's the beauty of how you've constructed that story but did you find it did you find it largely thanks to very very therapeutic yeah but it's also it's largely thanks to um being supported yeah at the right time by the right people yeah and there are i i kind of magically fell into the right categories for three really cracking theatre companies in London. Yeah. Synergy Theatre Project, who work with prisoners. Um, Clean Break, who work with women and, and you know, prone to um, criminal justice stuff. And The Outside Edge, who work with addicts. And so I, I could kind of get really involved with each of those theatre companies and got, got really, really held and supported and coached yeah. and um it's so important that i've ri- I written a play um you know i did one project where i didn't feel that i got that kind of love and support cool. and i've i've almost vowed now never again um i think it's i think it's really it's not something that's um that's kind of recognized as being important that actually you need to kind of hold and love and nurture um creative artists but and that said for people who've had a lovely life with parents who love them and they've gone to bloody right you know nothing wrong going to write at all please and they're amazing like loads of wicked people go right and come out and do amazing things because yeah. they do yeah but like you know who have a kind of life where they don't, aren't racked with self-doubt and all the rest of absolutely. it absolutely it's a privilege it's a privileged position to be in um but i almost think from what i've seen is that um and again there's no criticism like we've, we've had amazing talents from all all avenues whether it be rada or whether it be they've been street cast um you know there's, there's different talents out there um but when you've lived through something and lived through pain you, you've almost got you can turn it to your advantage because mm. you've got so much more to say. You know, sometimes when you are someone who hasn't really been through any adversities or difficulties in life and, okay, they've gone to a fantastic drama school and things and they're asked to reach into the depths of their soul and what they know, well, there isn't really much substance there because what have they experienced? Do you know, I went to see a play by um, about postnatal depression and a man had written it. And it was just like, and you could tell 
like it was an amazing concept and 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 it was a great play and it was you know and it it was well directed and things and and you know but but um but i just i just think the the too many plays are written about subjects by people who just don't get it and and we do have this whitewashed with theater where it's you know typically is in almost 99.9 percent middle class writers and writing about things that they just haven't just don't know about they don't understand yeah they haven't lived through it or or that's not even relevant to today's society i mean the other thing is as well that with with work like yours is so much more accessible and i think theater should be and we are moving to we're more moving more towards that with people who necessarily didn't grow up with going to the theater mm. um who are now interested in the stories that are being represented on stage but then that stems right back to the writers because even me growing up theater wasn't something that necessarily appealed to me because you know i don't want to watch period pieces necessarily it doesn't relate to my life it's not something i'm interested in i don't necessarily want to watch shakespeare been done for the hundredth time with different Mm -hmm. actors you know um not to say again there's anything wrong with shakespeare but i just think that with art um of any kind you know art imitating life and vice versa is so important to Mm. relate to to everyone to young people to, to to people of different classes different races and so these real stories is what is what is going to attract people yeah. to come and see those and and to see to see yourself represented absolutely. in these stories is really important absolutely i mean how amazing would it be for for someone who's been an addict or who's who's um who's lived through homelessness or is going through it at the time to see that on stage it's just, it's do you know, I was running a group the other day and someone wrote something and it was about her at the at her point of wanting to kill herself and it was the most amazing piece of writing and it really hit me. It was like someone had got a ton of bricks, baseball bat, all of it and just whacked me and my got in my heart and... Um, I can't remember the last time that happened in a theatre. Obviously, it wasn't well-structured sh- and, and all the rest of it. Um, but it had that heart and it had that welly. And, um, you know, and I, I, wish I, I wish I saw that in theatre more. Absolutely. I wish I saw that truth. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, I think when you when you as an artist, like, not only... You know, you don't live in a, in a bubble because I think... I think certain maybe writers that come from a privileged background who write about stories that they're far removed from are in this bubble and have this beautiful, you know, writing desk and writing room and they go, they, you know, they, they explore this concept. But when you as an artist are also on the front lines in terms of you yourself now have gone on to write, to run writing workshops and other people choose to share their truth with you that you can then pay it forward and it comes full circle so that person who first told you oh my gosh Sonia what an amazing talent you are look at what you've written or or made you feel comfortable in that space enough to share that's so important you know 
human interaction, reaching out, telling someone else, yes, you're allowed to believe in yourself. Yes, actually, you know, don't, it, it, you know, overcome that self-doubt that we have, that we all have. Um, but to be in an environment where, where your creativity is nurtured and supported is amazing. And what you've managed to achieve because of that, because of the people that believed in you or gave you an opportunity or gave you that space, and now you're able to do that for others. Like, what an amazing yeah. feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, really lovely. Yeah. Really, really, really. Something very special. And then yeah. you get to, you, I suppose you get to hear stories and experiences, like you just said. Yeah. You know, of, of, of people who, you know, truth is stranger than fiction. Some, yeah. Sometimes you couldn't make it up, you no. know, what people tell you. Totally. Yeah. There's times when I've writ- written things and then thought that, that you know that's kind of truth and just thought that can't go on stage because that's too real that's you know too real, people wouldn't too believe that would happen yeah yes. absolutely absolutely yeah. and these stories are so important um i think you have to really i think it's very important what i'm becoming really aware of with this thing that i'm writing at the moment is that you have to really respect it as well mm-hmm. you have to really respect people and and I you know when when writing real people's stories and I think that's that's maybe the case in in theatre and particularly in kind of um, like uh, you know kind of like uh, gang shooting ba 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 that 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 actually the the people within those stories aren't aren't respected that that they are made 2D and they are um not given you know true real depth as characters and they the the writer hasn't gone to the effort of really getting to know them and um, i think that it's so important to to be to be very very respectful absolutely you know, you get characters all the time, and even we're living in a day and age where we're just surrounded and, and, and oversaturated with reality TV. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. It's something that I uh, struggle with myself because I'm, I, I certain these programs, you know, I, I know, I, I consider myself to be someone who knows better. I know it's, okay. it's reality TV, but it's not yeah. reality because yeah, I know yeah. it's so constructed and the producers have, have told these people to play a role. Yeah. So to actually have, have work out there that is actually striving to work against this world of reality TV and celebrity and tell real people's stories is so important to keep that alive. Yeah. You know? And like yeah. you say, you know, when characters are written for theatre or... Uh, for for TV, for example, or for films, where let's say um, you know they're representing uh, a South London estate where there's gang activity or there's gangs going on, and you've got the you know the bad guy character who's the, who's who's selling drugs and who's who's you know who's in a gang it's or the just gang leader. Perpetuating stereotypes, totally. It's perpetuating then stereotypes. Then people get to yeah. see them. That's that's oh that's the representation of me on. TV, so then I follow that. Yeah, you know, then so it becomes I, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. But yeah. not only that, it's it's feeding into this almost um, ridiculous notion that someone is is what they are because they're labelled something. So someone is an addict, someone is a drug dealer, someone is a criminal, and you give all these people. Someone is a 
a, a, a you know benefit claimant mm-hmm. someone is a you know and you label them with these things with these negative connotations and, and and things that you've already built up but there's no exploration why did that person become an addict what's their story yeah. there's trauma there's pain behind it why yeah. did that person become involved in a gang well because they were so lonely that yeah. they needed a sense of belonging and that being part of a gang was was almost like uh, the arms of a family welcome them in and yeah. it's, it's exploring the history and the the reasons and the stories behind why people do what they do why they make the choices they do and why they behave a certain way that's do you know what i think i mean i might you yeah, know i might no no i think that um i think that the representations on television and i think the drug treatment centres and I think the programmes out there available and I think the programmes out there looking into why people get into addiction and the whole thing, I think it is all very, very male dominated. I think that, um, you know, it's men that we see running around doing stuff in gangs on telly. Where's all the women? Yep. It's, you know, men that, um, like, I do do fellowship stuff in recovery and it is i'd say 75 percent men in the rooms okay so it's not again where are all the women um uh, the treatment centers are predominant predominantly men um residents male residents yeah the i was privileged enough to go to a female treatment center that's been shut down along with lots of other treatment centers but i think the the reasons why women get into addiction and the reasons that hold them in addiction and prevent them being able to come into recovery are so are worlds apart from men yes and that's not you know that's not because of necessarily something biologically different it's because as women you know for example to survive um you know men might be out robbing people women most of the time you know shoplifting or have to go into sex work yeah. a lot of women get abused a lot of women have kids in addiction which then also holds them in and so there's all these issues and things which aren't explored in theatre and aren't exp- not by women anyway yeah. not by women who've lived it that's right and they're not explored on television and they're, they're not explored in 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 real life you're in so treatment right. centers you're so right you're so right and it filters all the way through um you know the representation of women the you know women being on stage who are writing those stories so like you say if, it, if it's if it's a male dominated field where it's male writers and male actors and male storylines you know then the women aren't coming through but with people like you who are who are bringing that voice to the stage bringing that voice to plays you know saying well you know there's a whole world out here of of women who are experiencing these issues because things like addiction and homelessness um and all of these other things are universal issues. But I think it's important to, to, to see it from the female point of view. Because we yeah. we have been historically and continue to be, it's changing slowly, underrepresented. Yeah. Our voices are not heard and our stories are not told. And, you know, um, it's so important to have that. Because, for example, you know, um, I was reading some statistics that... Um, 
research that's been done by St Mungo's, which is a charity yeah. that, um, you know, a homelessness charity that help people. And they are currently on a campaign to raise awareness for women's homelessness in particular. Fantastic. Yeah, you know, fantastic. and they're, they're saying things like, you know... Um, so vulnerable. 14% <laughs> of rough sleepers are women. Yeah. Um, but, and, but in particular that women who are homeless face a unique set of challenges. Yep. Yeah? Yep. And that um, with home with women's homelessness, it's often young women sleeping rough. Um, and also that it can be an extremely lonely, scary and distressing time, isolating. Um, you me- know, in autumn 2019, 614 women sleeping rough across England. You know, no one's looking at these figures. People think it's it's single men out there that mm. are homeless. You know, but these women, like you say, you know, do you see a homeless woman, and even even does it does it occur to you that she may have children who she's just not able to to be there for or care for or or have access to because of her situation? And I was also watching um, the Victoria Derbyshire show where she goes and speaks to ho- homeless women. And she speaks to one of them, and one of them was saying to her, do you know what, I've been homeless for years, and it's not so much the freezing cold weather, Mm. it's not so much the fact that I haven't eaten in three days, it's not so much the fact that I feel, you know, that I am vulnerable and that I could be attacked or raped or anything like that. She goes, the biggest thing that kills me on a daily basis is the fact that I feel invisible. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That people walk past me and they don't even value me as a human being. I'm invisible. Why? Because I'm homeless. Yeah. Because I'm because I'm sitting on some cardboard. Like those stories need to be told and more needs to be done. But this yeah. is why someone like you who has experienced that, I'd love to hear from your point of view well, what was, it was like. I was yeah, rough slept for the best part of ten years in a and yeah, occasionally I would manage to get it together to get a, a trailer or be in a squat or something but most of the time it was in shop doorways and things mm. and um, and my experience of it was that I had to have a man with me at all times when I was sleeping out yeah. and it didn't matter how violent that man was it didn't matter whatever you know how awful he was how horrible he was what you know just so long as you know i had a man there also like it's really cold sleeping out you need body heat Mm. and um and i needed to know that when i was in a shop doorway for example up soho that if someone came along in the night and kicked off that he would be there and ready to fight and i kind of went for the guy who was the biggest fighter and Mm -hmm. and um but i do you know when you were saying that thing about what that girl said i like i totally get that i totally get that for me it would have just been the shame yeah just the shame and it's very similar to the invisibility thing just the shame like so so when i had a drink or a bit of gear in me like i was kind of fine and i was running i was just like wait yay i live out oh yeah you know like a bit funny whatever yeah but like when i woke up in the morning and i was you know rattling for a drink and it was cold like a day yeah and i sat there and i can really still connect with the pain of it 
and I could see people walking down the street, laughing, pushing push chairs, like holding hands, living life. Mm. And I, you know, and I really, really came to the conclusion that being happy was just not something that was available to me. Wow. It was just not available to people like me. The best I could do was was to pretend. Mm. So I just kind of slept on this mask and just pretended like everything was all right. And um, I just didn't, I did not know how to do it. How to, how to, how to that, be that, how to be on the other side. How do I get there? What do I do? I, I just... Like and you know now there's there's a load of guys camped at the back of our house. Like this is the centre of London in 2020. Yeah. And they started off one tent. There's now four tents, and um and one of the guys is in a wheelchair. He's got no legs, you know. So he's having to manoeuvre himself in and out of this wheelchair to get into his tent. And and um, I mean obviously like they're on drugs and stuff, but um, but. <laughs> I just think, I how think can you possibly... People have this idea that they're fucking doing it because they want to have a laugh. Yeah. You know, they're doing it because they're on some hedonistic plight. Like, like seriously, you know how cold it's been the last few it's days. It's been absolutely it freezing. torrential rain. When you get wet, there's no getting dry when you're homeless. And there was no way, as a woman, I was going to sleep in a hostel. Not a chance. Mm. Like, in a hostel full of men. Like, no way. And... And That's I, incredible that you say that because to people who don't have any clue about this, they would think, oh my God, how could you refuse a hostel when it's indoors and it's warm and it's safer than outside? But actually, no, the reality that you're saying is yeah. that felt more unsafe or in reality yeah. is actually more unsafe. Yeah. I mean, that's incredible. That's. But also, like, you've got to survive. You've got to survive. You've got to earn money. And a lot of the time... Uh, evening is the best time to earn money yeah and in in hostels you have to kind of queue up to get get a bed and things right but also like I had no life skills so I got a room in a hostel once and and I didn't have anything in it I had think I had a broken telly a bed no bed sheets a load of drug paraphernalia and that was it you know that I had no life skills and I only managed to hold that down for a couple of weeks because because I was out and I was just so unmanageable yeah so unmanageable but I can such under- complex needs it is it's, it is complex needs and complex needs is something that I think services now um you know I'm I'm, I'm now running workshops with an organization called women in prisons um Wicked. and again through uh being associated with clean break it's a project mm. that their partnership you know partnering brilliant 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 and you but it's it's that thing of you know women's needs are complex there Mm -hmm. are there is a thing of complex needs in the mental health and addiction and and, you know uh, uh world but women's needs in particular there's such levels of complexity there um that that we need these services to be joined up and understand that i mean when you walk past a person who's homeless and you know i don't know they're asking for change do you have spare change you know um and a lot i've heard a lot of people say out of ignorance well i'm not going to give them money because they're just going to go and buy a can of drink or they're going to spend it on drugs or they're not that one pound is going to get you any drugs and get real yeah yeah um but you know where is the empathy and the understanding that actually 
if if you're living in a tent like you say for example you know and you're you're disabled you've got a disability and you haven't got anything to your name of course you're going to want to be on drugs to escape that reality yes. like how else do totally. you survive that and also like if you know it's 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 somehow you know you've got to respect their choice yeah. right if they want to spend it on drugs then yeah then you know then kind of yeah you just got to respect that and, choice and more often and, than not you know i mean when when i've, I've worked for organizations that that deal with homelessness as well and you know when you look at people who come to access those services you know i think people have this really twisted notion that someone's on the street homeless because um they're a certain kind of person but actually you meet all kind of people who have owned businesses and who, who yeah, have yeah, been yeah, ceos yeah. of companies so much these days yeah so and who much. have who have owned houses and uh you know driven driven expensive cars and who have got mm. kids and families but for whatever reason whether that be you know mental health or something like that you know um being made redundant or you know i mean we're living in a world where a lot of people are just one paycheck away from being yeah. made homeless anyway so you know? many people hand to mouth or in you know ridiculous loads of yeah. debt so much yeah but yeah, uh, you yeah. know for me for example i just want people out there to know that like i'm sitting in your home now that is the most beautiful space that feels like a sanctuary you know okay. that is that is decorated beautifully has got color has got character you know i can see that you've you've got your personal touches and it's impeccably it's just spotless it's impeccable it's, it's beautiful space thank you and for for someone who would have seen you when you were in a doorway in soho yeah, they would yeah, never yeah. know no. that you that you could then one day come to have a home like this yeah it's incredible and that that is that is the beauty of of giving everyone the credit of you know having hopes dreams aspirations you know humanity is something that we all have in common don't judge people by the situation that they're in at the time that's that's what i want you know people to understand so so um yeah at the moment then um you're busy writing running workshops and then i also know that you uh, I want to congratulate you on your short film project that's been Thank funded you. by the yeah. BFI. What an <laughs> yes. amazing thing. So yes, tell me a truly. little bit more about what that short film project is um, about. So that is about... It's about a um, um, young boy um, uh, and his relationship... It's about his relationship with his estranged mum. But he, it's a, uh, comes out through his relationship with a bird. So this young lad, um, and his mum has left, so he's he's kind of uh, finding it impossible to grieve and, and, you know, to kind of accept that that level of rejection. And he finds a, a, a little bird on his doorstep, and, um, and it's about his relationship with the bird, and through his relationship, he kind of works through stuff with his mum just very slightly so he just gets to the point where but obviously it's a short film but it's it's um, It's a powerful message it's amazing i cannot wait to see it i cannot wait for that (laughs) to see that project it's so amazing the bfi have got on board yeah that was such a result um financially but also we've got a meeting with them this week and they've they've just they're, they're amazing they've just basically asked 
a load of questions um rather than kind of telling us stuff oh i love so that. it's to yeah. really and they're questions about the heart of it you know really really like deep questions about what's going on yeah um instead of imposing what they would like they're actually supporting and i think yeah. it's so important for for um organizations like bfi you know for production houses and 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 companies and commissioners and all this to actually you know put their support behind grassroots projects and writers who want to get these stories out there without putting their agenda on what they want it's so important so important and i know that you're also currently commissioned to write a play about um, homelessness and prostitution is that right yeah but then also there's that's an element finished. that's yeah. finished but, now well it's it's written pretty okay. much okay pretty much yeah i think there might there's there's a kind of just a tweaking draft yeah. that needs to be done yeah um but yes amazing and that was that that's i mean i love poetry yeah um that's where my writing started, started. and um and also, I, I do love a good poem. Yeah. Um, particularly kind of modern performance poem. Yeah. Poem Spoken stuff. word. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, and also, I love words and I love rhythm. I love dancing. I go out dancing quite a lot. I love going to gigs and things. Amazing. And, and um, so just, I think rhythms... It's just a really important thing in life. Rhythm and language and are so, isn't it? So in partnership with each other, and, yeah. and and there's a, there's a. It's like dancing. It's like a universal language. Like everyone has that innate, some kind of innate rhythm, whatever that is, and yeah, and it's something that speaks to your soul. Um, and yeah, like you say, if you're a lover of language and lover of words and the rhythm you know of how you use those or how you put words together it's incredible it's when it's good yeah it's so good yeah. it's just like oh my god it's so good <laughs> yeah, yeah so good yeah. when it clicks and it fits and it's yeah and the so i would good. like to um yeah, share so this, a piece this, with you oh yeah go 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 um because we opened with one of your poems yes and um i wrote a piece called addict um nice and it came from um, having experienced someone who was very close to me who was going through addiction and I loved them very much and I felt like I couldn't um, save them from it mm-hmm. but then there's also a sort of innocence and naivety um, in believing that you can save someone else because they have to want to yeah. save themselves yeah. right? Yeah. but being a poet and being a creative you channel all of those things you know in into into your creativity and so i wanted i wanted to write something that turned the notion of addiction on its head mm-hmm. um because it can be seen as such a negative painful thing so um that's nice. why i'd like to Great. share this piece with Lovely. you yeah? thank you okay i came here today to make a confession see i've got a problem I came to here to confess that I'm an addict. My drugs of choice are love, truth, knowledge, and poetry. I inhale truth, light it up and take a big toke, flood my lungs with what they should be breathing, not merely tears with the lies made of false oxygen. Once again, that dopamine is flowing through my brain and 
It's like my motivation just smoke something and now I'm high as kites flying. Truth be told, I should be high because now it's our time to fly, not walk. So this is no time to be losing your wings. I drink. I drink knowledge for this edifying liquid refreshes me, quenches my thirst. And I can feel the clear cold liquid running down my throat and swell in my belly. From the seeds of a thinking mind grow the strong roots of a tree to which we are all attached. I snort. I snort ancient hieroglyphics for it's through a poet's lips I translate for you. My mind speak is louder than words so for the unspoken to be heard, tune into the vibration frequency and please note, this cannot be found on your FM dial. See silence has a voice too, it whispers words of inspiration when you listen carefully. I inject words into my veins because I can never get enough of poetry. It's like blood pressure to the blood supply and I swallow pills of love so I can feel the rush of euphoria wash over my entire body. And the pure joy of this drug called love sends tingles down my spine. It's a love drug. Dopamine, dopa, mine. Serotonin levels in my upper dome got me wanting to show you just mm. how much I love to dance through this journey we call life. My addiction of beautiful language allows me to see without obvious vision and I can build cities in the sky with my words and they drift as do dreamscapes. The genesis of my thoughts transcend to spoken treasures shared with kin, stories of sainthood and also of sin. See, cause I've been to the edge and back again. For the light shines through the cracks even in the darkest days and illuminates my purpose. So now, overstand that with our voices joined as one enhancing each other's melody, like the sweetest sounding harmony, we go from building cities to building worlds and the multiverse aligns to cosine and greatness manifests. I choose to share my words with you because my piece of the infinite puzzle fits into the positive connections of our shared knowledge to reveal the bigger picture. Don't limit this addiction. Together we are consumed by this substance called diction and we elevate it to new heights. The heart keeps you alive, but the mind dictates everything else. So make your drug of choice brain food. Overdose on knowledge, inspiration, motivation. The beauty of which is that you need no pharmacy except that of the human condition. Endeavour to always be the registered keeper of your mental vehicle and hold that more precious than monetary possessions, confessions. My name is Neela Fanova and I am an addict, an addict of life. Membership is free, except a small mental fee of openings one mind to really see. You too can be an addict, just like me. <laughs> amazing amazing oh wow mate yeah so i just wicked love it it's love nice it, to be it. able to share with someone like you who you know uh i don't know how that how that piece makes you feel but for me it's just like powered if, up if, good thank you <laughs> yeah i'm glad i'm glad because yeah i just think that there's there's so many things in this world that we need to understand better mm. and sometimes through creative expression we can allow people to to take a different view on things yeah but um i just want to thank you honestly from the bottom of my heart for being on this episode of the podcast thank you for inviting me along yeah i i 
I honestly have um, never met someone so, so with such a generosity of spirit and with such courage and um, just just allowing me to to ask you questions to to answer me so so honestly so beautifully with such humility um i thank you very much and i'm sure my listeners are going to enjoy everything that you've shared with us um so thank you very much and i wish you all the the luck and the the joy and the the good health in this world um for you to continue doing the great work you're doing so thank you Thank you. Really lovely chatting. All right, listeners, until the next time, keep walking in your truth.